Well, hey everybody, uh, welcome to the online campus here at Water of Life. I'm so excited to have you here with us today. My name is John, I'm one of our pastors, and I just love what we're able to do here on the weekends. Even if it's online, I know God has something incredible for each one of us. And so, I want to encourage you, if this is your first time joining us online, uh, if you could do us a favor and text the word NEW HERE to the number 818 818. It would just really help us to be able to greet you, find out uh, what's going on in your life, maybe put some information in front of you as you try to navigate water of life. Uh, a couple things that are coming up. One of them is not until January, but I wanted to put it in front of you right now because I know they're going to fill up. It's a program called AWANA, and it's an amazing discipleship program for kids. And so, I don't know about you, but as a parent of two children, one of my biggest challenges, even as a pastor, has been trying to figure out how to build scriptural principles and foundations for my kids. And so, this year, I'm registering my daughter for AWANA, and it's a program for young kids, school-age kids, who... Um, who want to learn scripture in kind of a scouting atmosphere. And so it's a lot of fun for them, but it's also an amazing discipleship program. And so if you're interested, head over to empoweredkids.org backslash Awana and register your kids for this. You can get some information about it there. And just want to really encourage you. This is a great, great program and they have limited space. Also coming up uh, in this season, we support a program called Mai Tai Coffee. It's, it's a ministry that is amazing. And so what you get to do is you buy coffee, which you know most of us love coffee, right? Coffee for Christmas is a good thing. And you also, in buying it, you support one of our really amazing partners in, in Thailand. And so with more information about that, here's a message from their founder, Charlie Milbrod. Water Life, greetings, Charlie here. Uh, great to talk to you this uh, weekend just before Thanksgiving. Every year we bring our coffee products to Water of Life on this weekend. This year we're doing it a little bit different. And uh, we got some great products this year. We got a beautiful new gift box, a beautiful new gift bags with new mugs and all of that. Uh, go to the website, you'll see them, you'll be impressed. Uh, more than that, what it's all about this year is helping us to put in solar systems in our children's home. This is a part of our self-sustaining program that we've been developing over the last couple of years. Uh, two years ago, we started with the food production. Uh, we are now producing between 10 and 12 tons of meat every year and over 300,000 chicken eggs. All of our protein needs are produced in-house right now. It's phenomenal. Uh, our electric costs are around $5,000 a month. We'll be able to trim that down and save over $4,000 a month with the solar projects. Uh, two years of our electric costs will pay for the entire system. But we're going to take the proceeds from Mai Tai Coffee, give it a kickstart uh, on that project, and try to get uh, the home set up with the solar. Uh, drink the coffee, give the coffee out as gifts. It's a tremendous project. It's a way that you can help us help the children in Thailand get that solar in there. Thank you so much for your part. You guys have been such a blessing to our ministry through all of these years. We've been in Thailand 34 years now. Can you believe that? So uh, thank you so much. God bless you. Well, if you'd like to buy some coffee, if you'd like to find out more information about their mission and what they do, uh, you can head over to wallupdates.com or you can go to mytaicoffee.com to get more information. Uh, and as always, with everything that we're doing here, you can go to wallupdates.com. That's W-O-L-updates.com for other news and updates. And if you'd like to worship with your tithes and offerings today, I want to encourage you. Thank you so much for doing that. You can always do that through the Water of Life app or online at wallupdates.com. 
And as we prepare our hearts for uh, service today, I just want to encourage you with a verse that I, I found uh, this week that just really encouraged me in terms of what we're doing this week here in the States. We're doing Thanksgiving uh, coming up here. And so this is from Psalm 28.7. It says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. And so, Father, today we come to you and we just say our hearts are full of all the great things that you've given us, how you've blessed us, how you've encouraged us. And so I pray that you pour out your spirit on each one who's watching today as we sing out with all our voices, with our full voice, uh, songs of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, enjoy uh, as we head into the worship center right now for worship. God bless you.
It's so good to be here tonight with you all. And Thanksgiving is right around the corner. So I want to encourage you to give God thanks tonight. Come on. Whether you're online or you're in person, God is worthy of our praises. Come on. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now my joy awaits my praise. Come on. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing, Lord. I give thanks.
From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to
opportunity that we get together we get to sing together as one voice as one sound and all God's people say in this place and online let's say it together amen amen give him praise we're going to move forward in the service right now so let's just prepare our hearts and continue along as we um, welcome our pastor up here amen
Somebody should say yay, that was amazing. I want to welcome all of you here tonight. Those of you who are over in Townsville, welcome Townsville and Upland and all of our other campuses, people online watching. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for Thanksgiving. Thank you for the job that you do all the time to bless people. So generous, just like super generous, all of you are. And uh, I think last weekend we needed 400 turkeys. Is that right on Saturday? We needed 400 turkeys. I was like, come on, somebody bring 400 turkeys. And you brought 800 turkeys in the last four hours. So it was like, every year I say this, I just like, why did you wait till the last hour? <laughs> no. But every year you wait till the last hour. So it's, it's good. I trust you now. It's like, uh, we're going to make it. Hey, the Dollar Club. Let's talk about generosity really quick. The Dollar Club, we brought that well to you. Uh, talking about drilling a well for Dominic and Sharon and the church up in uh, northern Kenya. And um, ask you to do a dollar club thing, you know, where we put a dollar in and see what the Lord does to bless some people on the other side of the world. And um, we needed to raise like eight or $9,000. We raised 20,000. So that was amazing. So we're actually building two wells in another village as well. So we're gonna do that. And we're able to put a water tank in because of your generosity. So they have a water tank so that actually it can be, um, they don't have to wait in line all the time to get water. So that, that was just an amazing thing. I think we have a little, Video. Let's see if we can watch the video for Dollar Club real quick. Uh, guys, what do you say? Thank you, Water of Life! Guys, what do you say? Thank you, Water of Life! Hello. Uh, this is part of the community. Uh, guys that are going to benefit from uh, the water project that we are soon launching in this village. Uh, we are really very much appreciative for the good work you are doing, Water of Life and really thank God because of you. In Swahili in Kenya, we say Asante Sana. And uh, these guys are so much appreciative, we are so happy. You can see even wonderful smiles on their faces. And uh, I know this, uh, this project is going to do much a lot in their lives. Guys, what do you say? Bye-bye. Always, it's on now, amazing. No, you are. Father, we wanna to come to you and just say thank you, God, for generosity. Thank you for people giving turkeys, giving time, giving their hearts, giving their lives. Father, thank you for being able to touch those that are needy and hurting right now in our community. Thank you for the generosity for Kenya, for Dominic and Sharon. Pray for them as they're getting ready to have a baby right now, Father, that you'd have your hand on their lives, on their ministry and uh, on the villages that he's able to reach out and touch. And then, Father, we come to you and say, help us, God, we're desperate people. We are in desperate places and we need help, but you always have a way. You always make a way, God, no matter how desperate it is. When Paul would talk about being cast down, but never destroyed, you know, squeezed tight, but never, never crushed, ever, because you're just an amazing God, Father. You let tests and trials come, but you bring us through build us up and turn us into people that look more like Jesus. So we pray that you would do that today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, uh, okay, you got a Bible, an iPad, a phone, turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we're gonna pick up uh, kind of where we left off last week. If you weren't with us last week, we started part one of uh, biblical reconciliation. And John Dawson was here. John Dawson did an amazing job last week. If you uh, 
only heard Saturday night, you need to go online and listen to Sunday morning. John Dawson doesn't do one message, he does three messages. So they're all different and they're all, um, they're, I mean, the Sunday morning messages were just really, really, really good. I thought better than Saturday night. Saturday night he read too long on that thing, but it was all good, it was all good. So I love John, he's listening to me right now, so he knows how I feel. <laughs> no, John and I are good friends, so. But, but what I talk to you about, um, just really as we go into this whole journey, I'm in debt to people like John Dawson, Timothy Keller, people that have written a lot of stuff on, on reconciliation and biblical reconciliation. And, and so when we start to have this discussion, a lot of you think like this, I, I know this, you think, what does this have to do with me? And some people are feeling like, I'm gonna feel guilty, or I'm gonna feel ashamed, or I'm gonna feel, no, 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 no. You don't think like that, please don't think like that. There's other people who are saying, man, we need to have this discussion more, and it needs to be deeper, and there's all different opinions. When you talk about reconciliation, you talk about issues of struggle with people and cultures and all kinds of things, we all have different takes on that, friends. But what you need to think is this, what does Jesus say? Did you hear what I just said? Now, what does Jesus say? Because whatever Jesus says, it's always good. Have you noticed that? You're, you're not very excited, but whatever Jesus says is always good. It's always good, man. It, it might not be comfortable right at the moment for you, but it'll build you into a person that looks more like him. And so when we start to dive into this stuff, just think like this. We need more of Jesus in his way instead of our way. We need his life instead of my way and my life. And the truth is, it's a difficult topic for many of us, but it's crucial the kingdom of God. It's crucial what God wants to do in people. And so we'll tell some stories and, and talk about that. The Bible actually says that you are a minister of reconciliation. And so a lot of you are like, I'm not a minister of anything. You know? But we'll talk about that. What, what does that really mean? And we're gonna unpack that and, and, and really just think like this. If you're saved, if you're saved, if you know Jesus, if you're just on the journey, just listen and enjoy. But if you're on the journey with Jesus, then you need to think like this. You gotta grow. And how many of you know growing stretches you? Hello. And sometimes stretching you hurts, is that right? So that's gonna happen a little bit, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's my responsibility as your pastor to tell you the truth. So we, we can like skate it or walk around it, but the truth is, we gotta do what Jesus said, and that's what we'll walk in, that's what we've always walked in, and so I wanna walk down there. So let's, let's talk just in general terms. Let's go here on the screen, because we're gonna do a lot of teaching today. So let's talk about diversity. How many of you know diversity is one of the greatest assets we have in our whole country? Diversity. I mean, the, the fact that we have all different kinds of people and people groups is one of the greatest assets we have. But if we're honest, if we're honest about it, it's also one of our greatest what? It's a threat, it threatens people. Because when there's people around you that are different than you, it what? It threatens you, it makes you go, oh, you know, whoa, what does that mean for me? What is it gonna do to me? What does it feel like? See, we all wanna, if we're honest, we all wanna be on top. I know you don't know. Yeah, you wanna be in control. Everybody wants to be in control, come on. Is that, do you get that? All people groups want to be in control. It makes you feel secure. It makes you feel better. There's something really broken about that. Do you, do you understand that? It's really broken. It's sin. It's not from God. To want to be ahead of the other person, Jesus said, those that are first will be that's scary, isn't it? But see, we always we quote that. We're like, I love that. Go ahead of me in line. No, 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 no. No, first really means they're ahead of you. Do you get that? 
They mean, they're ahead of you. That makes some of us super uncomfortable, but Jesus said that's his way. That's the Jesus way. And so really, the truth is God created us so different, didn't he? But so alike. So different, but so alike, which is amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing thought. We love diversity because we love uniqueness. I mean, John Dawson told that amazing story last week that just, I thought was so compelling, just grabbed me. If you weren't here, he talked about all the block walls in our neighborhoods. Anybody hear that story last week? Uh, six of you, okay. Um, but the block wall story, he was just saying, you know, we have block walls all over our area. You just drive up and down the street, there's block walls, right? You don't ever stop and look at the block wall and walk up to one of those blocks and say, you are the nicest block I've ever seen. You don't do that. And why don't you do that? Because they're all the what? They're all the same. They're not unique. I mean, but if you were walking, I don't know if you've ever been to the Louvre in France, and you're walking down the hallway, and suddenly you turn the corner and you walk in where the Mona Lisa is, you don't walk by and go, oh, you look like everybody else. You don't say that to the Mona Lisa. You stop and you think to yourself, I saw you on a commercial last week. You know, you think to yourself, whoa, that's the real deal. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe they hid the real deal now, you know, and maybe they have a copy. But I don't know the difference, and neither do you. The truth is we love things that are unique. And yet so much human conflict arises out of our diversity. And that's just the truth all over the, all over the world. What, what tribal issues, cultural issues, they're huge, huge, huge roadblocks to the kingdom of God in people's lives. They keep people from Jesus. You need to think like that. The enemy uses these things to keep people from Jesus, our diversities and our differences. And so what the Bible teaches about this, really, really unique, very important for you. So we're gonna dive in and do some teaching today. So let's talk about the priesthood of the believer. What does that mean, the priesthood of the believer? So you talk about this word and you're like, that's a scary word. Well, it actually means that we're all royalty. I mean, 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that. You are a chosen race, and we can read it right up here. You are a what? No, oh, that we're talking about an issue right now, and it is what? It is about race. But, but, but the Bible says that Christians, people, Jesus followers are a, a chosen race. So hold it, hold it, hold it. That means I got a new identity. I have a new identity in Jesus. Did you get that? I have a new identity. I, I, I'm not this race or that race. I'm a chosen race. That makes me royal priesthood. Whoa, whoa, look out. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what that really means for me anyway. But a holy nation, but here's what it really means. A people for God's possession, that God wants to possess his people. He wants intimacy with his people. So, now here's the so part. That's the therefore, is there for a reason. So that you may proclaim excellencies of him who has called you out of, into his marvelous light, because you are a, and what is your chosen race supposed to do? Declare Jesus' greatness, is that right or not? That's what your chosen race is supposed to do. All of our chosen race, every tongue and tribe and nation, creed and color, person, social, economic status, is supposed to declare one thing, Jesus' marvelous light, his greatness to the world. 
That's what we're called to do. That's who we are called to be. Now this is, as John said last week, a job description, not just a title. It's a job description. It actually defines who we are supposed to be, and it has profound implications. It's like it has deep, deep, deep sense of importance to your walk with Christ. Now, here's the problem. A lot of you don't get this. A lot of you, when you start talking about it, you're like, I don't understand. I don't think I want that job. I just don't want to go to hell, Pastor Dan, so I gave my life to Jesus. But, 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 but hold it. you got to understand something. Jesus chose you before the beginning of time. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And he chose you for a reason, so you would be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession that would declare his greatness, how great he was. Now, think like this. There is a, the, the whole First Peter is written out of a Hebrew perspective. So you gotta ask yourself a couple of questions. If you are a priesthood of believers, what did that mean for Peter when he said that? It actually meant this, as a, as a Hebrew priest, they openly confessed the sins of the people of Israel, the priests did, and they stood in the gap between God and his people to bring reconciliation. So a priest was a bridge builder. Do you get that? A bridge builder. They built a bridge between the people and the king. A bridge builder. So, 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 hold, hold it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and you have a job. It's to be a bridge builder, to build bridges from people's hearts and lives to, the, to, the, to their father, to help them see who Jesus is, to, decla to declare his marvelous light. Now, let's jump down to 2 Corinthians 5.17, and let's read this together. If you're online or you're on one of our campuses, let's read it loud, let's read it together. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. He was reconciled and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now here's what a lot of you think. You think this, whoa, 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 Pastor Dan, all that means is that I'm supposed to help people connect with God. Oh, you are, you are. But, 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 but hold, hold it. If there are issues that stand between you and the people, or the people and God, I mean, and you have a responsibility to help them walk through that. Please don't miss this part. That's being a bridge builder. So if people back up and they get stuck, like John Dawson was telling that story the, uh, last week, I don't know if he told it in what service he even told it in, but he told a story about uh, a young black man in his neighborhood where he lived in Lakeview Terrace. And he heard the guy screaming, he said, I reject Jesus because Jesus is a white man's religion. And his mama said, Jesus is my God, so I'm not rejecting him. <laughs> they were arguing. John said he really felt like he needed to go find the kid and apologize, and he never could. But he told a big story about that and he walked through because he felt like he had a responsibility to build a, a bridge for the person to get over to see God in a different way. So here, here's a question for you. What does it mean that God gave us a ministry of reconciliation? I wanna teach you that today so you can really understand where it comes from. 
So let's walk up here and do a little bit of teaching, we can. Part of our journey as believers to be healers and reconcilers. Let's go to the next slide. The word reconciliation, katalaga, comes from the word katalaso. Kata means to be against, against something, and alaso means to change it. So a, a person who's a reconciler recognizes that they have to stand against things that are wrong and help to what? Change them. Did you get that? You stand against things that are wrong and you help to change them. It's against things that are wrong and you change them. To change being against something, to heal a breach, to establish relationship, change one currency to another and change values. This is real, I love this part because actually the word katalaso is used for an exchange of money. So if you're, if you're going to a country and you're gonna like change your money out, that would be the word that you would use, is katalaso in Greek. That you had to exchange your money, you're exchanging currency, one currency to another because you are changing what? People who are reconcilers help people to change their values, to change their values. So something that they didn't honor before, they learned to honor. Something that they didn't like before, they learned to like. Something they were against before, they start to embrace. Do you get that? That's so important because that is part of your calling. Now we talked last week about, John brought this to us and, and laid it out, and these are steps that we've used in Youth with a Mission for years and years and years, the steps of reconciliation. So if you weren't here with us last week, last week, let's just walk through them quickly. There's four steps. The first one is confession. That means just stating the truth, acknowledging things that are what? Unjust, standing in the gap like Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a minute, what it means to actually stand in the gap, that God said he's looking for people to stand in the gap. He was numbered with the, Jesus was numbered with the, transgressors, he wasn't one, but he was numbered with one because he stood in the gap. He became like us, so he asked us to do what? The same thing. The second point of reconciliation is repentance. Turning from unloving, a value that's wrong, right? Turning from a value that's wrong to a value that is right. An unloving action to a what? To a loving action. And asking the Lord to show me what to do in my neighborhood, my country, my journey, my workplace, my school, wherever you're hanging, asking the Lord to give you insight there. Third step, third step is this step that we're talking about right now, reconciliation. Expressing and receiving forgiveness and pursuing intimate fellowship with previous enemies. People that had different values in you and you stood against them before and now you embrace those same people. God wants his kingdom in the land. It's Isaiah 62, three and four. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's really important. And finally, there's the issue of restitution, attempting to restore that which has been damaged or destroyed and giving back life to people that you took life from. So we often think of forgiveness and reconciliation in far different terms than the Bible does. A lot of us don't even understand what it means, but most of us think like this, it's private. <laughs> it's private. We think forgiveness and reconciliation are what? But the Bible doesn't see it that way. The Bible sees them as community events. The Bible sees this as an open book. The Bible sees this as people learning to get along together and working with each other. So for many of us, that's a hard, hard thing. And I totally get it. See, I, I grew up, I was actually sitting at my desk today because I had this uh, long lost cousin 
email me this week, and her name is Darlene Carroll, and she said, I am trying to find our grandfather's grave in this cemetery. And I had actually visited it five or seven or 10 years ago sometime, I don't know when I went there, but I had notes in a file of where his tombstone was. And so she was asking me about that, and I pulled out the pictures and I started looking at pictures. And I had a file, a family file, like some of you probably have the same kind of thing, with some, you know, some charts in it and family trees and all that kind of picture of where you came from, that kind of stuff. But in this picture, there was a group of people standing in front of a shack in the hills in Arkansas with a workhorse and, but you just had to see the picture. You know, you had to see the picture. And I sat in the chair for a long time and just stared at it and I thought, I remember when I was there, you know. I, I went to that shack because that's where my mom was born. And I wanted to see where my mom was born once, so I went back to Arkansas. I knew she was born in the hills in Arkansas. She was very poor. She was married when she was 14 years old. And she was, you know, she was raised in a really racist family. And so when I actually went there several years ago, five or seven, 10 years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, I was with my aunt and her sister, my, my mom's sister, my mom had died of cancer. And so I had gone back to Arkansas and we're driving down the road and, um, and, and, and we're going by cabins and these old shacks that were broken down and stuff. And she said to me, she, she said, well, we live down the street there. The Joneses lived over here. The Williams lived there. And the N-word people lived there. That's what she said. And, and this was about the sixth time that she had used the N-word with me in the car while I'm driving. I finally said, Aunt Avis, can we stop for a minute and just talk about this? I'm really troubled. Why do you use that word all the time? And she looked at me and she said, what do you mean? And I said, the N-word, why, why do you call people that? She said, because that's what they are. Just like that. She said it to me, just like that. And I said, okay, that is not what people are. These are, you know, and I started doing a thing with her to try to walk, and, and she's 80 years old, you know. She's not, she's looking at me like she wanted to slap me, you know. <laughs> but, but here's what I'm, the, my point is this. I was raised in a racist family, like many of you. Now, the N-word was used in my house a lot when I was a kid, by my mom, not by my dad, but by my mom. But that was what my mom knew. That was what my mom grew up with. And, and so when that happens, God asks us to stand against something that has no value and bring a new value. Is that right or not? And, the, and so, see, for me, when the first time, and I have told this story a lot of times, but when, when I went to high school, we had race riots all the time. So I went to Emerson Junior High School. Palomar's High School was above the 10 freeway. And so in Palomar's was in the islands, okay? So we had several groups of African-Americans in Pomona in those days. We had Sintown, we had the islands. We had several groups of places where people after the watch riots, HUD had come into Pomona and bought groups of houses. And it was a dollar down, move in. They were trying to take the pressure off of South Central LA and keep people from burning the city down and try to do some kind of equity or fairness or something. I was a little kid, so I don't know all what was happening. But it was during the time of integration and starting to bus children from one school to the other. It was all new. We didn't know what was happening. All I knew is that black people lived on the other side of the freeway and white people lived on this side of the freeway. And the white people went to Emerson and the black people went to Palomar's. The problem was we all went to the same high school. 
And so we had race riots every single year I was in high school. It was like clockwork. We would have policemen come with shields and batons and sticks and fights would break out two weeks before Christmas. And this was just part of the journey. Everybody was mixed up, everybody was angry. It was a wild, wild time. So you think you live in a wild time right now? That was my high school days. Every single year I was in high school, we had race rights. So it was never unusual to be playing in a basketball game with a bunch of black guys and then have a race riot break out and everybody just start throwing at each other and having a fist fight. And you're like, I love you bro, but you're black and I'm white. No, that's how it went. And then I, I was a baseball player, but I kept growing. If you, you know, I like added six inches one year. And that meant I wasn't a very good baseball player and I should try to do something else. And the only other thing you, tall people could do is play basketball. So I ended up trying to play basketball. I, I'd never played in my life. I was a junior in high school. I'd never played in my life. I started playing basketball all the time, all the time. But guess who I was playing basketball with? Black guys, yeah. <laughs> because the brothers were in the gym all the time. They were the ones who ran the games. And so I played ball with guys all the time, but I also was in fistfights with them all the time. It was a constant, constant, constant part of my life, fighting and fighting and fighting. And finally, this African-American guy named Philip Staley came to me and he said, you need some help, man. <laughs> I said, really? He goes, yeah, if you're gonna survive up here, you're gonna need some help. You need to calm down and chill out, and I'm gonna put your locker next to mine. And he did, and he did, shocked me to death. Philip Staley, I don't know whatever happened to Philip, he, he changed my life. He was like an angel sent from God for me, because I had no idea about anything reconciling. Do you understand this? I, I didn't understand reconciliation. I didn't understand reaching across and gathering up somebody. And he actually reached across to me and gathered me up when he had no reason to do so whatsoever, except for that he was just a thoughtful guy. And so he puts me in the locker room next, in the locker next to him, and we're dressing it for basketball practice. And that was the first time I ever saw a brother take off his clothes and the guy had silk underwear on. I almost fainted. I mean, I was a boxer guy, you know? I had boxers on and cotton, and I'm like, what the heck is that? I go, bro, you got, and he goes, yeah, man, we dress right. You know, matching shirt, matching silk underwear. I'm like, dude, you are styling. Uh, l l listen, I tell that story because it changed my life. Because here's what happened. There was a light that went on inside of me. I went, there are people that are different than you, and that does not mean they're bad. And it was right at that time, right at that time I gave my life to Jesus. Right at that time. And I started reading the Bible. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, I, I, I've told this story many times over the years, but I knew who my enemy was. It was Andy Blocker. He was the baddest black brother in school. He kicked my rear regularly anytime we got in a fist fight. And I hated the guy. You know, I told this story about eight or 10 years ago over in the MPV. And a guy walks up afterwards, he goes, Andy Blocker's my cousin. <laughs> I would tell him I said hi, I hope I see him in heaven. He used to beat my brains in, man, he was like. But I'll tell you what, I knew as soon as I read the Bible who my enemy was. And what the Holy Spirit was trying to do is heal me inside. Cha Listen, a chosen race, not a white man or a black man or a brown man or a Chinese man or a Filipino person, a chosen race, 
called out of darkness into the light. Called out of darkness into the light. It was a game changer for me. Changed everything about me. So when I travel today, when I travel, we're gonna get back to the teaching really quick here, but when I travel today, I, I, one of the things that I figured out early on was that if you travel the world very much, you figure this out. A lot of people don't like white folks because <laughs> we colonized everybody. I mean, England colonized everybody in the world. So you go to places and you realize, oh my, oh my, oh my, we have a history here. And it's not a very happy one. Now, I've always found this from people in Africa or Southeast Asia or wherever I travel. They're always kind to me, always thoughtful, always friendly, always kind. But if you dig in to the cultural issues of race and all of the, they got issues. They're, they're afraid of you. They're like, dude, you guys have like monopolized the world and controlled us all. And, and I'll look at them and I'll go, I didn't control anybody, man. I didn't have any ships in those days. I didn't sail in your harbors and take you all over. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, I, but honestly, when you have these discussions and you realize that people were dominated by other people, at first it was just shocking to me. I didn't know what to do. But as I started to grow in the Lord and I started to listen to people and I'd go into villages and just eat and sit and listen to people talk and, and, and realize that they, they were very kind to me. And I would just be sitting there and suddenly, without realizing what I was doing, I knew I was supposed to reconcile. I knew I was supposed to. And that began with an apology for things that I never understood. I would just say, you know, I, I'm really sorry that happened to you and your family, to your, to your ancestors, and gosh, when I hear how you were dominated by people, it uh, breaks my heart. You know, I, I just want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to you, you know. And, and friends, if we could learn to do that without feeling that we're losing something, but we're actually gaining something, we could change the world. We could change the world, you know. And so when, when, when I started to learn to just apologize to people, and, and you might say, but why would you do that? It wasn't you. Well, let's talk about that because it's called identificational repentance. It's something that's in the Bible. See, if you look at Ezekiel 22.30, these are important verses now, so watch this. Ezekiel 22.30, there you go. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the, in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found nobody. So there's been times through time in history when God was looking for people to close the breach that other people had created. They didn't create the breach, but God was looking for people to close the breach. Isaiah 62, six and seven says this. I have posted watch people, men and women, on your walls, of O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Keep going, keep going. I think there's another verse there, is there not? No, they're saying no, that was no. <laughs> I left the second part of that off. It's Nehemiah 1, 6 and 7. Nehemiah and Ezra were both people who answered the call. They were both people who said this, I'm gonna go up on the wall and I'm gonna answer the call for other people. Nehemiah 1, 6 and 7 is the verse I was looking for. It's the next one, here it is. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night. What's the prayer? It's on behalf of 
Who is it? Sons of Israel. Not, not, not on his behalf. He didn't do anything. Nehemiah didn't do anything wrong. He's apologizing for somebody else. He, the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which, which what? We have committed against you. I and my father's house have sinned. See, I, I, I can get that right away because when I was with Aunt Avis, we were sinning. <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? When we were driving in the car, I could feel the racism. And, and so to apologize for that was not hard because I, it was so clear that it needed to be apologized for. Does that make sense? It was just obvious. It was like, but here's the problem. If you are a reconciler, it is obvious, but why don't we do it more? Why don't we stand in the gap when the Spirit of God says, stand in the gap, stand in the gap, and speak what you need to speak? Watch this. It goes on. We have acted very what? Corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded for your servant Moses. We, we, we acted corruptly. We did the wrong things. We sinned against the Lord. So, so night and day, he goes on, he says, we've acted corruptly. We, we, night and day, we cry out to God. That's Nehemiah. He was trying to heal the breach in Israel. There's another guy named Ezra. Here's Ezra. He also stood in the gap. My God, I am what? This is super godly guys like Nehemiah, super godly guy. They didn't do any of this. But he's very what? Ashamed and what? To lift up my face to you, my God, for our wrongful deeds have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. He's like, oh man, we did all this stuff wrong. But here's the truth. Ezra didn't do any of that. He was part of it, though, still, because he was married to the land. We talked about that last week, Isaiah 62. Wherever you were born, friends, you're part of the land. You're part of the story of the land. You, you might say, listen, I immigrated here. Or, but listen, if this is your home, you're part of the story. Is that right? If, if I live in Malaysia, I'm part of the Malaysian story. If I live in Cambodia, I'm part of the Cambodian story. Let's talk about Cambodia really quick. What happened in Cambodia? What happened? You, you know the killing fields in Cambodia. You know that. The Khmer Rouge. You've heard those stories. When we go, when we go to, to Cambodia, we take people to Tool Slang. And Tool Slang, most of you have no idea, Tool Slang was an elementary school that was turned into a torture chamber. And still today, you can walk through where they had batteries and gasoline, and they would pour gasoline on people and burn them, and they would put people upside down and hang them off a post and lower their head into big pots full of water, and then they would pull them out, and they would torture and torture people. And you can go to the killing fields, and you can see in the museum hundreds and hundreds of skulls, human skulls, of people that were killed by their own people. So if you were living in Cambodia and you were part of that land, you would know you had this huge breach that needed to be what? Closed. Do you know that none of the Khmer Rouge ever went to court? Nobody was ever found guilty of slaughtering their own people in Cambodia. They all went back into the jungle and just disappeared and they let it go. Lots of them are still alive today. I was in a church there once where a guy came forward and actually repented of slaughtering his own people at the altar. He came to the altar and just started sobbing and said, I have nightmares all the time because I killed people. But, 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 but let me tell you something about that. 
unless somebody reconciles it and closes the gap, that wound remains open. Do you get that? It's open in the souls of the people in the land. And it's, the only way it gets closed up is when somebody stands in the gap, a reconciler, a priest, a minister of reconciliation. Now, if you're questioning, you say, I, I don't believe that. Well, read Isaiah 53, 12. It's up here. Look at Isaiah 53, 12. This is Jesus. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the... Who are those people? Come on, hold on. That was a question. Who are those people? Oh, you... Numbered with the, he was numbered with the transgressor. You better be really excited that Jesus stood in the gap because that's the only reason you're here. That's the only reason I'm here. Because Jesus stood in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap. He stepped into the gap. What was the gap? The gap was between me and my heavenly father. And the gap was called sin. The gap was called every weird, wild, crazy, lustful, dirty, angry, selfish, Thing that humans do. And what did Jesus do? He was numbered with people like that. Did he do any of those things? No, but he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. He closed the gap. He stood in the breach on the wall. He said, listen, listen, I'm crazy about you even though you're just crazy people. I want to close the gap for you. So, so, so hold it. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be like Jesus. Is that right or not? That means we have this biblical responsibility to close the gap. Now I wanna to talk to you about that when we'll be done, but let's talk about what it looks like. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. And we'll read, you got your Bible, your iPad, your phone, turn to verse 21, Matthew chapter 18. I want to read this story to you. It's about forgiveness, and many of you know it, but let's just read it real quick together. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? And, 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 and how often shall I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, No, I don't say seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and his children, be put in desert prison, and all that he had until repayment would be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before the, the, the king, and said, have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion. If you got a Bible, an iPad, a phone, underline that word. That's a super, super, super important word in this whole story. He felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owned him owed just a hundred denarii, which would be like a hundred days worth of work. That's a lot, but like three months of salary. Um, but the other guy down here, he owed like $10 billion. So I'll explain that to you in just a minute. But 
But he went to the guy who owed him $100 and he seized him and began to choke him and said, pay me, pay me back what you owe him. But his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him and said, please have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and he threw the guy in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what he had done, they went, they were deeply grieved and they reported everything to their Lord, what had happened. And he summoned him and said, you wicked slave, I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your friend and in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord was moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay the, the amount that was owed. And then he says this thing in verse 35, my heavenly father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, this is so deep and so important and we don't have a long time to plow into it, but you've got to figure this out. It's verse 35. Jesus said at the end, this is how my father will treat you unless you forgive him. Now, when, you, when he says that, let's look at the next slide. This is, gets really deep here and important. There you go. It seems to say, if you don't forgive, you are what? You're doomed. So go to the next slide. And really what it is saying is that you showed no mercy because you never opened up your heart and received God's mercy, so you are doomed. That's what it's saying. It's really saying this, if you're a believer and God has touched you, your nature will be to forgive other people. Your nature will be changed so you want to forgive other people. You don't wanna hold and choke them, you wanna release them because you realize you got what? You got released. You were numbered, I mean, you were a transgressor and Jesus, listen, Jesus numbered himself with you. That's the only reason you have a life today. And you recognize that and you say, oh my goodness, I need to, listen, what it says is that you showed no mercy because you didn't ever get any mercy because you never opened up. So the whole take on forgiveness, if you open your heart to Jesus, forgiveness and grace, then you will share it with the people around you. Forgiveness, and this is important, forgiveness is an indicator of how real your walk with Jesus really is. It is. It's a barometer. It gives you insight into where you are living. It's, are you really saved and do you walk with Jesus? When you remain unforgiving and angry with people, it makes you feel self-righteous, better than other people. Like, I don't have to do that for them, I don't. No, it gives you permission when you don't forgive other people to, to be offended. It does, it gives you permission to be offended. It, 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 it says, that I, it's okay, I feel wrong, and I, my focus is not on Jesus, my focus is on me and how bad I feel. And friends, if you're gonna stay focused on you with self-pity and self-centeredness, you're never gonna walk with Jesus. We all have to sort this out. And some of you have been deeply wounded, but you gotta still sort this out. If you choose to be unforgiving, friends, this slide says it all. You are functioning way more like, <laughs> I know you're like, this is a bad message, Pastor Dan. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to be straight with you. It, unforgiving people, you're functioning way more like Satan than you are Jesus. If you're forgiven and he washed away your debt, like the one in the story, it's such a great debt you could have never paid it off. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, everybody sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Is that right? All of us, all of us. My life, your life is a gift of grace. 
The only reason I'm here is because of the grace of God. The only reason you're here is the grace of God. To not forgive is to put yourself into bondage, friends. Self-pity, self-focus, self-centeredness, it's bondage. I've said this for years and years and years, but I said, you know what you think you do when you don't forgive people? You think you're like poisoning and choking them to death, but it's really like you're mixing up this potion and you're the one who's drinking the poison, not them. Because you're killing yourself. You're killing your walk with God. You're killing your relationships with people. You're killing everything. So, so what does forgiveness look like? Let's close this up. Here it is. Verse 27. It looks like the king in the story. He took compassion or pity on him. What does that mean? There's three things that you gotta do here. You gotta really figure this out. That if you're gonna get along with people, if you're gonna be a reconciler, you've got to feel the pain of other people who've been wronged. You just have to. You gotta listen to people's pain. And you might not agree with it, you might not understand it, they may be coming at it from a place you can't even get it, but you gotta listen. It's very simple, Jesus, do unto others as you would have others. Isn't that what Jesus said? Do unto other people as you would have other people do unto you. Love your neighbor like yourself. So just ask yourself hard questions like, man, if I went through that, how would I feel? How would I feel? How would I feel? That word pity, the really important word. I know you can do this. Splanch nizo mai. Splanch nizo mai. Splanch nizo mai. The root is inward. This is splanch means literally your inward parts, your heart, your inward soul, the deepest part of your being, your emotions, your feelings, your affections. It means to be moved to feel what? You got to get to a place, we all have to get to this place. Don't fight with people over their pain. Don't tell them they shouldn't have it. We do this all the time with people. You shouldn't feel that way. That wouldn't offend me like that. What would offend you? You have a different button. If somebody pushed it, you would be offended. Everybody has different buttons, right? Just because their button's different than yours, don't tell them, don't be offended. Just listen to what they're saying and see if you can help close the gap. See if you can help close the breach, stand on the, on the wall and close the gap, friends, because Jesus is looking for people to do that, to have your heart go out to somebody. You gotta identify with them. You gotta feel their pain. You gotta feel what they feel. You gotta realize the one who wronged you, the one who is wronged, you, whether you were, which spot you're in, you gotta, you gotta figure this out. Jesus' way is to feel other people's pain. The key is this, you have got to let the Holy Spirit work inside you. It's that, that, that thing. You, if you don't do this, none of this can happen. If you just harden your heart up, I don't agree, I don't agree. I don't agree with a lot of things that people feel and believe. But that doesn't remove me from being a reconciler. That doesn't remove me from trying to be a lover of people. Hold it, hold it, maybe you'll get this. You think Jesus agrees with you all the time? Come on, help me, do you think he does? I don't think so either. Does he still love you? Is he still crazy about you? That's what he wants you to be. 
He wants you to be like that with other people, friends. He wants you to be out of your comfort zone. He, he wants you, listen, not to accentuate differences. When we do that, we just make ourselves better with other people, you know? When somebody lies, you say, they're just a liar, you know? When you lie, you say, well, it was complicated, I felt pressure. <laughs> no, come on, isn't this what we all do? I'm not a liar, I'm really a good person who lied, but you're a liar. No, we do this, and you can't, friends, you're never gonna be a reconciler if you do that. You're never gonna be a reconciler. The only way to forgive is to identify with a person and realize that you're just like them. By the grace of God, there goes me. That's why, listen, at the very beginning of this message, I said this, it's a community event. It's a community event. It's public. I'm like you, you're like me. If I'm in Cambodia, I'm like those people. I walk through, I walk through Tula Slang and my heart breaks, but I think this, given the right set of circumstances, the Bible says I could do the same thing. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. Second thing you gotta do, you gotta cancel the debt. Remember the king canceled the debt, is that right? King canceled the debt. Well, that means his heart went out to the guy, he canceled the debt. What, what does that mean? Cancel the debt, forgive the person. That's biblical forgiveness. The debt was 10,000 talents. A denarius was a day's wage for an average worker in biblical times. A year's salary was 300 denarii. One talent was 5,000 to 10,000 denarii. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. That was like $100 billion. Now, do you think if Jesus was telling that story, he made it $100 billion on accident? Hello? He made it $100 billion to make a point. The point was, my father forgave you for everything and you owe him over a hundred billion dollars. <laughs> Let the person go. That's the point. It, he, he exaggerated, obviously stated it to say how great our debt is. And it's just this kind of a thing. You borrow somebody's car, you scratch their car, you come back and you go, hey, listen, I need to have your car painted. And they go, no, 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 I got it. I'll take care of it. They, 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 they obviously, you, you know, they say, I got it. I'll, I'll absorb it, I'll take care of it. When somebody does that, friends, it changes everything. It's the same whether it's your reputation, whether it's your heart, whatever it is. You gotta absorb it sometimes. Somebody hurts you, you gotta absorb it. You gotta be a shock absorber in life. You gotta realize, don't just be offended, take it to Jesus. Slandering a person back isn't gonna help you. Cutting them off in relationships not gonna help you. You know, cheering when their life goes bad, that's not gonna help you. It's not. Releasing them, absorb it, is the right thing to do. If you don't do that, you put yourself into bondage. So I wanna pray with you right now. We're gonna take communion. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, if you're standing and praying, you have anything against anybody, forgive them. You know what that tells me? That forgiveness is an act of your will. Or Jesus would have never said that. If you're praying, you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Father, we wanna to come to you right now, <clears throat> excuse me, as we take communion. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us about people that we have issues with. People we have not forgiven. That you would empower us, Holy Spirit, in our will to be a reconciler.
to cancel the debt, to absorb it. And some of you, I know you think that, that's a painful thing to do. Well, let me explain something to you. Forgiveness is suffering. Sometimes forgiveness and suffering have to go together. So I want you to take the bread right now. As we take communion, I want you to think about this. I want you to think that Jesus was numbered with you. He didn't have to be, he chose to be. And then he asked you, as a minister of reconciliation, to be numbered with other people that you don't have to be. You choose to be. Some of you will never choose this, I understand that. And you're still gonna go to heaven, you are. But if you really wanna change the world and be a kingdom-minded person, you're gonna have to decide to be a reconciler. So Father, we come to you right now. We take the bread and we just say thank you, thank you, thank you, that you are numbered with people like us, Lord. You are numbered with the transgressors. So we take the bread and we just say thank you, Jesus, take and eat. Father, the third thing that that king did was he, he understood that he had to let the person go. And so I pray for us that some of us that need to let people go, they need to take our, we need to just take our hands off of people, let our hearts go out to them, feel compassion deep in our soul, that we would feel compassion for people, Father that we would learn to stand against things that are not from you, have wrong values. We would close the gap, stand in the breach, because you did that for us. So thank you, Lord, for your deep love for us. Take and drink in Jesus' name. I want you to stand with me. We're way out of time, I know. I appreciate you being patient. A lot of teaching here today. I hope you got something life-giving out of it. But I wanna ask you, before you leave, just to bow your heads with me really quick. If you're here and you struggle with unforgiveness and you know it's crushing you, I want you to slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Nobody will see you, but just put your hand up so I can pray for you. Good for you. Hang on, Norm, just hang on right now. Good for you. There's a lot of us in here, lots of you. Man, Lord, we wanna to come to you right now because unforgiveness is poison. And we just ask for a grace, Holy Spirit, to come over us, to be able to not hate the person or the people, but to feel compassion like you feel towards us. And that's a Holy Spirit thing. So Holy Spirit, we come to you and we say, help us, God. Give us a great grace that we've never had before. Give us a love for Hanny Blocker when we hated the guy. Thank you that you were able to turn my heart to love people of every tongue and tribe and nation, see you in the faces of other people, but I never saw you in people that look like me. I never saw you the same way. God, put love in our hearts for people that are different from us. Soften our hearts, Holy Spirit that we could conquer unforgiveness. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen, amen, amen. amen. 
Well, I'd love to hear our pastor's heart about this topic of reconciliation. I know this is such an important topic for our time, and I know our pastor, this is such a, this is a topic that is so dear to his heart. And so I want to encourage you right now. We're not just going to walk away from this. We're not just going to move on to, into our life, as easy as that is to do. We want to give you a couple of reflection and response points. And if you want to take a, a screenshot or write these down really quick, I just want to encourage you not to let this message just go away in one ear out the other. I, I want to I take this through the week and see if we can allow this to kind of marinate in our minds as we, as we consider what we heard today. And so the first is this, what is God revealing to you through the parable in Matthew 18? Super important story. What is God revealing to you through that? And also what relationships or situations in your life are calling out for forgiveness? I know we all, we all have those and sometimes that's painful. And so uh, as a response, if we could pray for healthy conversations to continue, not the, not the rhetoric that sometimes we engage in online or other places, but healthy conversations that really reflect godliness. And finally, commit to taking a first step towards for forgiveness. I know sometimes we even would say, I, I don't wanna forgive, but even just taking that first step, God, what would be my first step towards creating forgiveness in this relationship? And so as always, if you'd like to receive prayer and you're watching live, follow the instructions posted by your online host. Or you can always call into the church office during the week to receive prayer. We would love to partner with you in prayer. And to keep up with everything that's going on at Water of Life, head over to wallupdates.com for everything that's going on. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. We love journeying with you. Uh, have a great week for those of you who have some vacation. Hopefully you get some rest and get some, sp some time to spend with friends and family. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.